guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a fantastic interview. I've got Anna Oliveira with me. Anna is a nurse consultant for Medicare Cannabis, and I thought it is so important that I actually bring her on. Here in New Zealand, we had yesterday the results from a referendum being publicized, and it was a very close call, should uh, our uh, cannabis here being legalized, yes or no. It was a no vote with just a little bit more than, than 50%, 54% versus 46%, I believe it was. Um, so there are still some votes being, being counted, but I think that is, it will probably remain like that. And a lot of people are really, really glad about that. And a lot of people are really, really sad about that. And I have experienced the story, the cannabis story really on all sides. Anna and I share a passion for chronic pain management. And we're gonna hear shortly about your story, Anna, but in a nutshell, Anna has seen the suffering that is out there just as much as I have, and has seen how, how good cannabis products can be for certain pain conditions. And therefore she has become an expert in that. And so we're gonna hear about the prescribing and all the, the good sides of it. But of course, I'm also an, an addict and alcoholic. So I know the dark side of it. And we know the dark side is, is pretty much here in New Zealand because of the prevalence of addiction and the flow on effects on society here. So we're gonna to explore today both of these things. And I'm so, so grateful to have Anna Oliveira with me today. Anna, welcome to my show. It's great to be here. <laughs> Anna, you had, we both started in, in the same place. Uh, blood, gore, theater, uh, <laughs> just just where the fun happens. You were a theater nurse, weren't you, when you started off? Yes, loved it. That was like the best job ever. <laughs> Excellent. And it's, it's cool because we are working as really close-knit teams in theaters. So there's the anesthetist and here's his technician mm -hmm. and then you've got the surgeons and the nurses and it's good, good fun. And that's what yeah, I do for a living. That's what you have been yeah. doing for a living. Uh, it's just gorgeous. So how the hell, why the hell did you leave if you had so much fun in, in theater? What was your journey? Um, I like to mix things up and do something different every now and then. And I loved working with the anesthesia group that I was with. A really great group of guys. And so I decided to move to the acute pain service where we would educate and do preoperative nerve blocks to help people treat their pain with numbing rather than with opioids or a blend. Um, and um, sometimes we would do blocks afterwards and I would get to round with them or round without them and report back and make adjustments to medications. And so that was a lot of fun. I did that for about five, six years as well. So I really enjoyed helping manage people's pain and, and helping them go home and, and feel more confident in managing their pain after surgery. And keeping in mind, that is, that is the biggest fear of people when they undergo surgery. It is mm -hmm. a pain and it is nausea. Those two things are the biggest 
oh no, if we can just prevent that, whatever else mm -hmm. happens, I can live with that. And that's exactly why I love anesthesia. I hate these two things. And that's where the <laughs> acute pain management is such a powerful mm -hmm. thing. And I, like you, I, I love to do the nerve blocks. I work uh, with shoulder surgeons and spine surgeons. And oh, yeah. uh, certainly in the shoulder area, there's virtually everyone uh, is, is receiving local anesthetic in a clever way. So now mm -hmm. we, we will do all these, these wonderful things. And that's the acute pain setting, which is lovely. Uh, but acute pain mm -hmm. is sort of often a means to an end. You've broken your bone, now you get it mended, and it will bloody well hurt you, yes, but in a week's time, life will look very different, and you're getting right. on riding into the sunset. The problem, of course, is there are some sometimes when that does not happen. Um, and that is where then pain doesn't go away. And mm -hmm. what the hell is happening then? And you got drawn into that field, didn't you? I, I did. I um, I would see people who already had pre-existing chronic pain before surgery, who now had a whole different agony with surgery and trying to catch up and manage their pain. And um, I started wanting to do something different, something more to help people with their chronic pain. So I became an empty nester when my youngest went away to college and I decided I don't know what to do with my evening time. So I went to massage therapy school for every night so, for a year and became a massage therapist, which is so gratifying when you have somebody coming in with a crick in their neck or a low back pain and you can give them a massage and give them some at least temporary relief. Mm. Um, it, it just felt much more hands-on gratifying. That's what I wanted to do. And then I started doing yoga myself because I had chronic neck and shoulder pain and headaches, sometimes five days in a row, I'd have one day off and another five days. So I noticed that yoga helped me feel better. And I became a yoga teacher so that I can help my clients off the massage table into a yoga class and continue on with managing their pain in different ways. So um, also realize that sometimes people need a little bit more. I'm studying herbs, and one of the herbs I came across was cannabis. So I um, started learning about that, and I found that for the people that I've been able to recommend the cannabis for, they have had some really good benefits. Oh, which is brilliant. Uh, and and you guys might find it strange that I say, oh, that's brilliant, uh, when I talk about the truck <laughs> of abuse. And uh, there is, that's what this whole session is about. It is a very double-edged sword, but for the right people, it can be a lifesaver. Um, but unfortunately, the way it is used recreationally is not necessarily, uh, not the same can be said about that. First of all, let's go one step back, Anna, because you and I know the figures. The people who are listening to that probably have a all idea about the chronic pain. So let's give you the figures. We think that on average, one in four people do suffer from chronic pain bad enough that it affects their quality of life. So that's mm -hmm. one in four. And if you think that at least each one of them has got one significant other that is suffering with them, then that affects True. actually half of the population. That's a huge mm -hmm. amount of people. Goodness. So... If you then say that's chronic pain, that includes the osteoarthritis, the, the I really need a hip joint, but I don't qualify for it, or I don't have the money for it kind of stuff. If you then look at 
specific subsets of chronic pain where nerves are damaged or appear mm -hmm. to be dysfunctioning. We call it neuropathic pain. Well, that's at least one in 100 people. And that's 1% of the population. Now, these are a hell of a lot of people out there. And we are not talking, oh, I've got a bit of a pain and let's go shopping. We're talking pain <laughs> that is so bad that it completely stops you in your tracks. Give me an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say you hit your funny bone. You think, ooh, ooh, that's not bad. You're not really reaching down there, do you? You reach up here and think, ooh, my hand tingles. That's not nice. Nothing has happened with your hand. What has happened is that you've squished a nerve here, and that mm -hmm. nerve is irritated. So you, you know these pins and needles, and it's not feeling nice. Imagine that for the rest of your life. And imagine yeah. that constant, day in, day out. During the day, it's sort of okay because you can distract yourself. And now it's nighttime, and you want to lie down, you want to mm -hmm. sleep. And there is this tingling, a massive, nasty tingling that occupies every fiber in your body. Now, that's only the tingling, the parasthesias, dysesthesias, as we call them. Now, add to that pain. Nasty, severe, burning pain. Imagine your hand being in fire all the time and you can't take it out. Imagine your hand being in a freezer or in a vise, your ankle being crushed in a vise all the time. Imagine now cramps in that area because the muscles, when the nerves are pissed off, the muscles go along with it and they play their own game. Mm -hmm. So now you have got your pain in your lower back and suddenly the whole thing goes into spasms and you want to scream and you want to do things, but you can't. Imagine now that that has happened, let's say a year ago, as a, in response to a road traffic accident that pretty much smashed you up. And now it's a year down the line. You haven't worked since then. Your relationship is on the rocks. You are not particularly nice to people around you because you haven't slept for about a year. And imagine this kind of scenario. Imagine yourself in this situation. That is what we're talking about. Severe chronic neuropathic pain that turns life into living hell for some of our patients. I have been running a pain clinic in the past, so I saw hundreds and hundreds, actually in excess of 2,000 patients like that. And so I know exactly how these patients felt. And Anna has experienced the same thing again. So that is what we're talking about. This is the baseline from which we are working. So when we say, cannabis for chronic pain, we're not talking about you stubbing your toe. We're not talking about an acute back injury because you were at the gym and you lifted some stupid weights and you now sprained your back muscle. No, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So different baseline. And I wanted to make that crystal clear to the viewers and listeners out there. This is what we're talking about. Cool, but what, let's come back to your story, Anna. 
your story is intriguing because your story actually evolves and it evolves with you. Here you were the, 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 uh, a theater nurse, very hands-on doing things. And then you were again doing things. You were the knight in shining armor, actually the, the Viking shield maiden with the local anesthetic running in there going there, yeah, that's it, thank on. So you were doing this, this really very gratifying, very heroic uh, work. Mm -hmm. And then you suddenly became this kind of wider reaching thing. So instead of a, a crystal clear laser guided focus towards the nerve, you suddenly realized that pain is a bit beyond the, the one single nerve, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, and you have to treat the whole body. It, it affects your mind, it affects your mood, it affects how you sleep and relate to and your your optimism for waking up and having a good day the next day. So when you're dragged down like that, you need to find alternative things besides just um, chemistry and drugs. You need to find other ways to cope with the pain too. So that's why I'm starting to look at different alternatives and mm. hopefully that can help my clients a little <laughs> bit more than exactly. just taking pain pills. Oh, shit, yeah. And, and indeed, you're saying at one hand, as the, the cannabis, there is uh, the, the pills. We've talked about the injections. So these are sort of only three modalities so far. Guys, if you're in chronic pain out there, just think of the whole spread of things that is there. If you imagine a spread from, from all the way over there to all the way over there, on that side, you have got the sort of the, the least invasive things, the physiotherapy, the maybe tense machines, the, the external uh, pulses or creams, etc. non-invasive there. And over there, you have got spinal cord stimulators and, and weird things that we implant into patients, the nerve blocks, etc. Somewhere here, you've got the tablets, fair call. But what about all the other things over here? The, the beautiful psychology, the, the, the uh, CBT, those kind of, of other modalities that are out there where we help you to learn different coping mechanisms, to, to deal with pain in a different way, to use techniques that your brain has to, to change the pain, to change your state. I mean, you're referring to it with the yoga is so powerful here you are you're learning how to relax your your shoulders you're learning different energy flows and suddenly the headache is gone so mm -hmm. i think whilst we're today talking about cannabis i wanted to put that into the perspective of this whole range of beautiful pain management modalities uh, if 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 people are focused oh i need that tablet or i need to go now every week for acupuncture for the next 40 years, hmm, hmm. it's probably unlikely that you're on the right track, friends. So it is, there's so much out there that we can work with and a good pain management clinic will use all these modalities and will use all this teaching and will work mm -hmm. together with you to help you to address the pain, to address some of the other issues that are arising from the pain. 
they will try to give you function back, even if the pain is maybe still there, because to, to get rid of pain is, is a tall order. So in my pain clinic, we were celebrating when you got your pain down by 30%. Um, that mm -hmm. was a good day. But equally, there were patients whose pain was seven out of 10. But they were, when we started, they were lying on the couch and could not move. And now their pain is still seven out of 10, but they live a full life and actually going to work for a work that they love. Uh, that's a big change, despite the fact that the pain is still there. So these are all such important bits that we that I wanted to talk about. So when we are now going into the cannabis side of things, then that is now within that framework that you understand which patients we're talking about, and as well as, as part of the framework with which chronic pain should be managed in 2020 as a multimodal, as an as an as a as a sensible approach kind of a thing, not just of an ad hoc, oh well, try that. Oh, here you're back. Oh, didn't it work? Oh, oh well, and try that. That's not how chronic mm -hmm. pain management is, okay? It is basically working from very simple to the very advanced and ticking things off and educating you and helping you along the lines. If you don't get that care, then look around and try to sort yourself out. Work with your GP, your family physician, and they can hopefully get you into the right care, support you in the way that you deserve to give you the best chance of a good outcome. So framework established, boom. Now we can talk, Mariana. <laughs> so I'm intrigued because, as I said, from, from a New Zealand perspective, we have got cannabis, medical cannabis here. Uh, it comes in the form of a nasal spray or it comes in the form of tablets. Um, it's expensive as hell. And mm. very few people actually fund it here. So therefore, since everything in New Zealand grows like weeds, including wheat, um, mm -hmm. There are many, many, many places where there are many tomato plants and not a single tomato. Honestly, you walk through <laughs> tomatoes, tomatoes, tomato plants, but not a single tomato. Yeah, five, five leafy kind of things. Um, right. So this is this is the story here. So cannabis is very prevalent. First of all, Anna, in which part of the United States do you live? Where are you? I'm in Michigan. Michigan. Michigan is, mm -hmm. tell us, is that a state where uh, is it warm, cold for people who it's are not? Cold, long winters, yeah. but it is still growable. Uh -huh. And um, we are legally allowed to grow 12 plants per household. Wow. So if people want to grow their own medicine, they yeah. can. Wow. It's just a very short growing season. So yeah. um, you can also grow indoors. And there's a lot of stores that offer. <laughs> All of the stuff that you need to grow indoors. So there's a way around it. I'm laughing because um, West Auckland here, our biggest city and the west of Auckland is quite alternative. And there were often people joking that it is the, uh, it's a very garden friendly place because you can find mm -hmm. so many hydroponic shops there to help you grow yes. tomatoes, etc. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> So now that's cool. So hydroponics and, and things like that can help. So Michigan, 12 plants, 
when did that come into action? I think ballpark last year or the year before. Yeah. Two, it's about two years that it's recreational legal. It had a medical program and now it's legal recreationally as well. So it brings in a lot of tourists from neighboring states too, who don't have the (laughs) recreational program. (laughs) Funny that is, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was the same for a long time with Germany and, and the Netherlands where you just mm-hmm. go over the, uh, the, the border and hello, hello, there is your coffee shop. And the coffee mm-hmm. shop doesn't roast coffee. That is now, it is more a herbal. Um, <laughs> it's just Marianne, right. Marianne, Marianne. So the, is there, what is the, the, the social makeup of Michigan? Is that a rather richer state or is that more a lower socioeconomic state? Um, it used to be a huge for automotive in Detroit area. So the industry is still surviving. I mean, it's had its ups and downs, but it's a lot of diversity in Michigan. There's technology. um, There's a lot of good universities here, a lot of agriculture. And then of course the automotive and other manufacturing. So it's pretty diverse, I would say. Cool. reason I'm asking, of course, is, is the prevalence of addiction that often I mean, addiction is a, is a disease that affects every strata of society. But of course, the, the lower strata, the, the, the sort of poorer areas, uh, this may be a bit more prevalent. The, the use of alcohol and harder drugs uh, is probably a little bit more likely there. What was the story of recreational uh, cannabis use uh, prior to the legalization? Um, it's probably quite prevalent and, um, people were quite skilled at growing and indoor growing and using their own medicine and creating their own barter system, I'm sure. Um, so it is nice that it's more out in the open that people can actually share plants openly, um, and, you know, exchange information. And I think a lot of people who are using it so-called recreationally, it's actually kind of therapeutic for them because a lot of people are using it because of anxiety, PTSD, they're self-medicating. So they're finding ways on their own. They're finding that need, that urge to medicate and to use cannabis. And um, I, I know a lot of people that have been doing that for years and they're f- functional, you know, great people. And they're just finding ways to self-medicate without having to go and get a prescription. And, you know, prescription medications are expensive. Cannabis in a dispensary is expensive. So if you can find a way to grow your own medicine, you know, I understand where they're coming from. How much is cannabis? Um, If I was wanted to to buy something (laughs) in the dispensary? Um, It's pretty pricey. There's high state tax on it. If you have a medical card, you do get a discount on some of the state tax. Um, I've only been in two, well, two dispensaries in Michigan just to see what it looks like. And the one was a very, you know, meat and potatoes. Here's the medical side. Here's the recreational side. They divide them. You have to have the card to get into the medical side. And I think the prices are a little different and what's allowed is a little different. Um, And then I went into a really posh one where you walk in and there are multiple staff members around people dressed nicely with their tablets there 
and they are your personal shoppers. You do not go in unescorted. They are there with you and everything's behind glass cases and beautifully displayed little cut up brownies. And, And it was kind of surreal thinking these people are treating it like a high class shopping experience. And then, you know, one or two states over, people are in jail for doing the same transaction that I'm doing right now, checking things out, doing a little purchase, seeing what's out there. And things are pretty pricey. So for people who rely on using cannabis to treat their medical symptoms, Mm. it it can be kind of hard unless you can grow your own medicine. If you can find that right plant varietal and and grow your own because it's pricey. So, and of course, you know, your insurance company is not going to cover that. (laughs) They don't, they cover certain prescription medications, but certainly don't cover medical Mm. cannabis prices. So that's, that's, kind of hard for people I mean, who need last, it. Exactly. Last time I looked, uh, the costs were sort of $500, $600 New Zealand dollars per month here in New Zealand for mm. the, yeah. the nasal spray. And and you say, I mean, ACC, uh, our, our accident compensation corporation uh, was for a long time absolutely clear they will never ever fund that. I don't think, mm. I don't know if things have changed. I can I cannot speak with with authority on that, but uh, the same here. I mean, which insurer wants to to say, yeah, here you go, six hundred dollars is a lot of money for insurance company. It is. It's ongoing for the rest of someone's life. In addition to all the other care, etc., that obviously mm-hmm. such a patient uh, might require. Uh, but it is what it is. It is uh, we know. We, as in Anna and I, have met patients where we have to say, wow, okay, uh, unbelievable results. I remember a, uh, a lady who had an incomplete spinal cord injury, and she was in not a good state. And we tried everything that is on the market here available to us, and with oh, mixed results, uh, sometimes a bit better, but then side effects of drugs were there, etc. And she touched upon the cannabis, but in her own right, she wasn't actually keen on it. So we we said, well, you know, okay, it is what it is. And then Christmas rolled around, and she went to a work do with her husband, and the joint was going around. So she had a joint. Then they went to bed. In the morning, she woke up and thought, oh no, I've infarcted the rest of my spinal cord because there was no pain. Wow. And she thought, what the hell? And gingerly <laughs> moved her legs. And she could move her legs just as bad or as good as it was before. But the pain was gone. So she gingerly got up and thought, what is going on? And it was up until two o'clock the next afternoon after the party that the pain mm-hmm. started coming back. And needless to say, um, this lady um, never looked back. Another story, um, uh, when I was working in Australia and there was a huge waiting list uh, to see us in the public system. So one day in the clinic, this lady came in and on paper, she looked horrendous, severe rheumatoid arthritis. So a, a destructive disease that, that affects your joints. And oh my God, she looked on, on paper, what I read about her, I thought, oh my God, what will I do here? 
door opens. This lady comes in, beautifully made up. Um, she was in her oh, mid-60s, late-60s, walks in, very clearly rheumatoid arthritis, but a smile on her face, sitting down. And I thought, what's going on here? Because on paper, sorry, your referral is very different than what you are. Well, it turns out her nephew um, had introduced her to cannabis. And here she was smoking four joints a day. And mm -hmm. she just came in in order to show me the respect because she'd been waiting so long for the, for the, the to see me in a pain oh. clinic. And <laughs> she actually said, look, I'm, I'm really grateful and I feel a bit like a fraud, but you know what? I mean, when I asked my doctor to refer you to the, me to the pain clinic, I was unable to get out of the bed. And today I'm here. Well, I've made this appointment with you, but afterwards I go with my girlfriends to town and we're going to have a coffee and I'm going to have a lovely day. That's wonderful. I yeah. just stood there and thought none of my drugs could have achieved that. That's so, wonderful. Exactly. So these are the stories that are out there. Yeah, I have seen them with my own eyes. I've, I've seen them and I've seen them with the eyes of a pain physician who was at the time probably rather critical of cannabis and rather critical of, of, of the recreational use of it. But here I was, wow. So therefore it needs to be said, there is certainly a role for certain conditions out there and that is what I wanted to explore with you, because you guys have got now a complete framework within which you as a nurse, as a nurse practitioner, are practicing. Can you teach me a bit about that? About having the availability to recommend to people now? Mm, it's yeah. that the stigma is going. Mm, all that. that. All that. When, and when you consider that, I mean, opioids, there are receptors in your brainstem that if you take too much, you're not going to wake up. It's going to suppress your breathing. And that's how people die of overdoses with the opioids. Whereas with cannabis, there are no receptors in the brainstem. So you're not going to die from taking too much. If you consume too much cannabis, you're going to have some paranoia, nausea, um, that kind of thing. But um, the threshold for safety is much greater for cannabis for treating the pain and when you see it end of life care and people who are you know just gorked out on all of their morphine and can't even enjoy their last days with their family versus giving them some cannabis um, they're more alert more comfortable calm more peaceful state of mind and they're able to enjoy their last days so um, I think it's wonderful that we are allowed to use this tool now openly and that more people are learning the fact that we have within our bodies our own cannabinoids that our body makes. We have our own entire endocannabinoid system that this plant perfectly matches how our body works and that a lot of illnesses can be linked towards an under-functioning, under-performing in internal cannabis system and that we need to supplement and add, whether it's the medical marijuana with the THC, which is the cannabinoid that can affect your mind, or the other components of it, there's, there's hundreds of cannabinoids. And the ones that are most common are the THC and the CBD. Um, but both of those have been shown to be effective in treating a variety of ailments and um, 
it's just the fact that it's been considered an illegal schedule one medication in the U.S. for so long. I don't know how your scheduling works in New Zealand, but schedule one is considered a dangerous medica- medication, highly addictive with no therapeutic benefits. And yet <laughs> it is therapeutic and it needs to be descheduled. And that's the push now is to get the federal government to deschedule it or legalize it in several states. Every state has its own rule and it's, it changes month by month and it's really hard to keep track of. So um, I think working within the healthcare system, it's just being aware of what are the laws (laughs) in your state pertaining to how much can somebody have on them? Um, Can we, you know, physicians can't legally prescribe cannabis for a medical condition because that could affect their DEA licensing. So they can make suggestions and recommendations, but they can't legally prescribe. So that's where it's nice to have the nurses come in. Nurses' role is education. So, you know, if a, if a physician is recommending, then they can't get all that information that they need from their physician. First of all, a doctor's visit doesn't allow the time for education. You have 10 to 15 minutes. A lot of doctors, um, Really, when they went to medical school, the endocannabinoid system wasn't even addressed. Um, Now it's changing. It's being taught in medical schools. So nurses who are trained in the endocannabinoid system can now talk to the patients and um, give them personal education on this is how your body works. This is how it works within your body. These are all the different routes that you can take it. And there's different ratios of CBD to THC that would be appropriate for your condition versus someone else's condition. Um, there's different routes to take it that would be more appropriate for you. Um, and some that are not, we don't really recommend smoking it. I mean, there's people do often prefer to smoke it, but that can be hard on the lungs. So there's multiple ways that you can take it that are much better for your body. And that in a lot of cases, um, it's viewed as a supplement, something that you take daily. Let's say CBD is a really hot topic here in the US. Um, it's considered a daily supplement. It's something that you take to um, enhance your own internal cannabinoid system that may be running a little on low. So you top it up with some CBD that can help with anxiety and digestion, sleep issues, inflammation, a variety of things. But the fact that it's been a schedule one for so long means that the scientists and physicians are not legally allowed to study it without permission from the government. And the government supply of cannabis to the people who are doing the research is a really substandard strain that they're given. It's often moldy and dried out and not really reflecting what is actually (laughs) in the mainstream that people are using. So when somebody finally gets their grant or their permission from the government, they have to use the government issued cannabis and it's not even worth studying because it's just moldy and, and poor quality. So... So that's the hard part. Studies just can't properly be done. Okay. Uh, That's, of course, a little bit on the sad side, uh, to be fair. Uh, Can you teach us a little bit more about the difference between THC and CBD? Um, Sure. So THC is considered the the cannabinoid that affects your brain that makes you high. Mm -hmm. And then and for those of you who, who like the big words, tetrahydrocannabinol, okay? Yeah. THC, big words. We make them up as we go to really make yeah. them time breakers, okay? 
And so then GFC, um, the, it's the good stuff if you want to get high. So, and I yes. say the good stuff. So, but as you alluded to, there's so many more. So CBD. Yes. So there's there's several. Like there's literally hundreds of various cannabinoids, and they're just starting to discover there's CBD, CBG, CBN, CBC, um, and so this the THC. It mostly has an affinity for the receptors in your brain and your central nervous system. And yeah, it can make you high, but it can also affect your pain and how your, your pain receptors are firing. Um, it can help with inflammation. Uh, there's, they're still doing a lot of studies on that. And then the CBD also, there are some receptors in the brain, but for CBD, it mostly um, has affinity for a lot of the receptors in the rest of the body. And so there's CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors. So THC will combine with both and CBD is more into the CB2 receptors. And they work together. And that's why it's when they're trying to create medications, they're trying to isolate just one of the cannabinoids mm -hmm. when actually all of the cannabinoids work better together. Just like any herbal medicine, you extract it and you've lost some of the healing properties. So in addition to the THC and all the CBD and CBG and all those different cannabinoids, they don't have a smell. But you know, everybody knows that pot, cannabis, has a distinct odor. And that usually comes from all those other plant compounds called terpenes. And terpenes have their own medical benefits. So when you combine the terpenes and the cannabinoids together, that's where you get your full, what they call as the entourage effect, which creates a lot of the, the healing ability. So things, terpenes are things like linalool. If you think of lavender, lavender has linalool. Um, there's limonene, which is the citrusy smell. There's um, alpha-pinene. There's beta-caryophylline. There's all of these different things that they're now starting to study all these terpenes and find that they have their own benefits, which enhance the effects of the THC and the CBD. So when we ingest the plant in its whole form, whether you're smoking it, vaping it, cooking brownies with it, um, using a tincture, those things combined are what create the best effect and that you need to take a lot smaller dose if you have the combined effect of those things. And that it's just enhancing what your body already produces. And sometimes you just don't have enough of it and you need to supplement with it. And that's you just have to find the right therapeutic range and that if you supplement too much and you're taking a little too much THC, you might get the, you know, the dry eyes, the nausea. Um, if you take too much um, paranoia, restlessness, but typically if you get in the right, the range, you're going to be relaxed, less pain, sleep better, less inflammation. So it's just finding that right range. That's just right for you. And that's really so important to realize how many different compounds there are and that we in the medical field only just start to scratch the surface of what these various things actually do. So that's important when it comes to the use of the whole plant. And it's important to realize that growing conditions of plants will affect uh, how mm -hmm. much they produce of which substances. So therefore it is so difficult to predict 
what a particular strain of or a particular crop will do. Um, so this is not easy. You're talking multiple, multiple variables that determine the outcome, how either leafy cannabis or, or homemade tinctures, etc., how they will affect you, your pain, your mood, or the other things. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. So there is, there is an art to that, to that particular dealing with it, no doubt. There is a science, but as you alluded to, that science is, is only just, just getting there. That's why lab testing, it's really important, even for CBD products that you can buy over the counter. Mm -hmm. It's really important that it's lab tested to look for pesticides, um, oh, yeah. molds, and to see what your cannabinoid profile is so that you know what terpenes are in it, mm -hmm. which terpenes work best for you, what the ratios of THC and CBD are. Mm -hmm. So that if things are lab tested, that gives us more standardization because the names of cannabis can vary from dispensary to dispensary. And there's mm -hmm. some really interesting names that they have for them. But if you as a patient know that you need this certain ratio with this many milligrams and this mm -hmm. type of terpene, you can go in with you know your list of what you need and they can match you to the right plant. So that's where mm. you can get a little more precise with your dosing and what you're doing is if you know those specific numbers, mm. then it doesn't matter what the plant is called. It's pulling up the lab results and matching it to what you need for your body. And everybody's a little different. Cool. That's actually quite interesting to, to realize. I mean, here in New Zealand, please, we have, it has five, five leaves uh, okay that's good so we smoke it kind of a thing that's about <laughs> as much as the testing would go of course we have got different problems here because for example in the area in which i work uh, we are it's sort of a, a more a tourist area uh, because we have got all the, the maori indigenous uh, culture mm -hmm. here but we've got huge amount of, of forestry which means forestry workers, which means sawmills, which means uh, huge machines that basically eat up whole trees like matchsticks and bringing them out. Now, when you are full of cannabis and you play with these machines, chances are things go pear-shaped. So yeah. <laughs> cannabis in the forestry has always been a huge, huge, huge issue. And uh, therefore, it's very clear there's, there's strict, uh, strict rules that if you work with these machines, if you work in a sawmill, if you work as a policeman, as a fireman, etc., you can get drug tested. Pee in the cup, please. And thank you very much. Uh, if there is some cannabis in there, um, then you are toast. So that's a problem. Do all the, the various cannabis products that you refer to, do they all show up on a, on a urine test? Yes. Um, and so even um, there are CBD products that are supposed to be just an isolate of CBD with um, the legal CBD is 0.3% THC can be in with it. And that's federally legal. Yeah. Some companies will just do an isolate and they'll just have all of the CBD extracted and don't have any THC and that's how they label their product. But when I talk to my clients who get routine, routine drug screening, I say it all depends on how finely calibrated uh, your lab is that's uh, doing the urine testing and how, or how they differentiate between 
um, CBD or THC. So you could potentially be positive even with a CBD isolate. So it's a, a risk. Um, the companies say that you should be safe, but they're always a disclaimer that you may not pass a urine drug screen, even though you have you know, zero THC that you've consumed, there is a chance that the urine drug screen might not reflect that. So you have to be careful with that. But mm. I'm just curious. So you mentioned that um, people who in that profession in forestry have to have a urine drug screening. So how would that be any different for somebody who is using, um, you know, pain medications, opioids, or who drinks alcohol? So oh, please, are please. they having the same screening or are they just selecting please. only the people who use cannabis? Because you're that, so, you're so to right. me, anybody who's doing a dangerous job, it should be, if you're concerned about their welfare, not just picking one oh, component please. to screen for. Please, so. of course, of course. I could not agree more. The drinking culture in New Zealand is absolutely brutal. Okay, mm. it is absolutely normal as a forestry worker. You do your work, then you go with your mates to a pub or play a game of rugby, and then here you go, down it goes. Uh, and that's all normal. Okay, that's absolutely normal. You smash your hands through a, uh, through a glass pane, you punch a hole into either someone or a, a wall. Hey, that's all cool. That's all cool. It's part of our, of our sport, macho culture. Um, yeah, about that. So if what you are raising is the issue of the flow-on effects on society as far as different drugs of abuse are concerned. Now, if I get a number, if I get a dollar for every fight that happens in a bar or, in, or it's alcohol-related, oh, for Christ's sake, I can stop working. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very, very hard to imagine a fight in a coffee shop okay, where people are consuming recreational marijuana. So please, unless... Yeah, it, so. yeah they don't get violent with that. <laughs> exactly my point. So That's your the point, difference. Your point Big is difference. so, so valid, 100% agreed. Um, and yes, need to do something about the whole culture and the whole abuse. And after all, I think the other figures, whilst we said that 25% of the population are in chronic pain, you also need to say that 25% of the population are chemical addicts. So mm -hmm. there is a huge overlap. And that is, of course, the difficult bit for any lawmaker, any doctor, any, any institution to somehow tease apart who is taking what for what. But I'm in chronic pain. Look, I've had this accident. Of course you're in chronic pain. Yes, no one says that. But what is the, the Mariana really doing for you? Oh, well, uh, what do you mean? Well, is it changing your pain? Well, no, not really, but I feel so much better with it. Hmm. Of course, officially, it helps their pain. But mm -hmm. so it's, it's and then, then you've got the question, okay, so it doesn't actually do something to your pain, but it makes you feel better. Is that a bad thing? Should we condone it? Should we say, no, sorry, just because you feel better? Nah, therefore it's wrong. So there are so many questions and I don't have the answers. But I think, Anna, it is important that we, that we raise all these aspects because the moment you talk about Mariana, it becomes such a political and emotional discussion out there where people go onto the barricades and want, want heads on pitchforks left and right. So it's yeah. really, really quite good, therefore, that we, that we give the 
the topic, the due diligence. But I couldn't agree more with you. It is, uh, it's certainly there is, there are quite a number of patients who clearly would do better with, with medical Mariana um, and alleviating some of their suffering. Mm-hmm. If, if I was to put you into charge of your country now, sorry, Donald, move over. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's Anna now, okay? Anna. Okay, no, I, I make you the health czar, okay? I okay. make you the health boss. Okay. So not you let someone else run it. Um, but from a health point of view, with your knowledge that you've got right now and your experience and everything, which are the patients that you would actually think should be considering Mariana? Who do I think is eligible or who do Mm. I think? I think anyone who wants to try it because we still don't know all of the things that it can help for. I mean, they're still finding Parkinson's, uh, multiple sclerosis, autism. They're starting to look at children and autism, Um, seizure disorders, cancer, helping with chemotherapy. So why not give it everyone access to make up their own minds to try it and see, is this helping with my symptoms? Is it giving me better quality of life? Then yes, that should be your own personal decision. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that anybody can buy alcohol of legal age. Um, We have wine tours, we have um, craft breweries, (laughs) and yet people frown upon, and you know, when you're going to ingest alcohol, it's going to alter your mental state. It's going to make you feel more relaxed, more social. Um, You use it for celebration. And then when you look at a plant that's been used by humans for thousands of years, that has numerous benefits, if it makes you feel a little happy or a little relaxed, we should view it the same as we do with alcohol. There's a potential for anything to be abused, a potential for anything to become addictive, depending on your life situation and your personality and your genetics, but everybody should have equal access to the plant. It shouldn't be um, so expensive Um, (laughs) because it can, if it can help with somebody for better quality of life, they should be able to grow their own. They should be able to find a plant that really resonates with them, create their own medicine. I'm, I love herbs and I love growing herbs and I think there's great culinary herbs and there's benefit in eating and ingesting herbs and using herbs. And Mm. as humanity has evolved, so have the herbs along with us. Mm. But I think prohibition of the cannabis plant has altered it just like prohibition with alcohol. Mm. Um, The more we prohibit, the stronger we're going to make it because we have to get the biggest bang for our buck. We're taking a risk. Mm. Excuse me. So I think with the cannabis plant, it used to be more balanced with the THC and the CBD. So I need to explain a little bit about those two. So the THC can give you a mental high. The CBD counteracts that and brings you back into balance. So if you have equal amounts of THC and CBD, you're going to get health benefits without getting the head high. So when you get people who are now no longer allowed to openly grow it, they're going to grow stronger and more potent. They're going to get the biggest bang for their buck. And so now we're looking at varietals that are grown that are 20 to maybe even 30% THC with maybe half to 0.1% CBD. So there's no more balance in the plant. It's just all about the high, which is not the 
original intent of using it, that that's not why humans have cultivated it and carried it across continents. It's been more of a balance. It does give you a little happy, a little buzz, but we've just morphed it into something that's so heavy in the THC and ignoring all the other cannabinoids that can help us. And I think that by making it more open, things are going to start to revert back into people are realizing, I just want to feel better. Um, I don't want to get high. I want to get healthy. So what, what kind of plant do I need to consume to feel healthy? I want less of that THC feeling. I want to feel more balanced. And so I think the consumer is going to start to create the demand that the plants are going to change. And I've noticed that going into the dispensary. I recommend a certain ratio for my clients. And when I go into the dispensary, they have all this high THC stuff with, you know, all these rock star kind of, you know, masculine names. I'm like, I'm treating a 65 year old woman who doesn't want to get high. She wants to get healthy. Do you have this ratio? Do you have this type of tincture? And he'll tell me, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to order that in. Nobody's really asking for it. I'm like, well, I am. And so is she. So I think he's realizing as I go into the dispensary and talk to him that they're typically sold out. And I talk to my daughter in Canada and she tells me the same thing, that they are always sold out of certain lower ratio tinctures, that they just can't keep them in stock because this is what people are starting to demand. So I think that's going to, if you open up and make it legal, that consumer demand is going to start leaning towards medical and it will probably, there'll always be the recreational portion there. Everybody wants to escape somehow. You know, you want to have a little fun, either you drink wine or you smoke weed, whatever that's, I think as an adult, that's your personal choice. Um, And it's all about moderation and being responsible. But I think if we start looking at more medically and talk about it and understand the balancing of it, that people will be more on board and start demanding a more balanced product and um, that they won't be people getting high trying to get healthy. They'll be getting healthy without getting high. So Mm. that's my hope. That's what I would do if I were in charge. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot, actually, because there is, I think, yeah, there, there are, many, many questions that we haven't yet even asked of cannabis, uh, leave alone any answers that we have got for some of the questions that we have asked. And part of me understands the comments of my colleague yesterday. We, of course, when the announcement came, we had discussions in theater uh, about it. And he said, here we are. We have opened the Pandora's box of alcohol. We have open the Pandora's box of nicotine and see where that led us. Uh, Maybe it's quite good that we don't open another Pandora's box of cannabis legalizing it. So part of me actually understands that and that kind of conservative fear uh, along these lines. But uh, there is a DJ here said it once really well in the seventies, we smoked killer weed. And nowadays they smoke weed killer. And I think that actually makes <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And killer That's weed. That's probably is, true. Yeah, true. Because it is just, it has changed the, the, the cannabis varieties that are around nowadays. And Definitely. we must say that also the gangs are using cannabis as truly a gateway drug, because certainly here in Wacharua, we had cannabis that was laced with pee, with methamphetamine, 
um, and oh, other yeah. drugs. Exactly. So we have got all that illegal component there. There's a lot of drug running. Mm -hmm. um, we have got nine gangs in our little $100,000 commune here. So it is, uh, there is this huge side, and I would have loved to see that being taken out of the hands of the gangs and made it more available. I, I yes. would have hoped that we would have maybe had the start of a journey similar to Portugal, where legalizing of all drugs and using the money that was used to, to address um, the, the law enforcement side of drugs, using that for the provision of healthcare services for mental health and for addiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, you see the, the benefits that Portugal reaped from it. We, we have Definitely. that all. And I would have loved to see that in this country. I think it would have been a huge benefit, but it yes. wasn't meant to be. And yeah, and that's, that's the thing is if it's not legal, how are you getting your, your medicine? Mm. And I think a lot of um, older people are very interested in using mm. cannabis for their aches and pains. And as you get older, your own mm. internal cannabinoid system slows down and gets sluggish. You need to supplement a little bit to help relieve those aches and pains and joint swelling. Exactly. But yeah, they don't want to go buy it from somebody in a back alley. So I think increasing that consumer confidence that it's mm. in a, a legal facility that this product is lab tested, it's labeled, they can walk in in the light of day and proudly purchase their medicine exactly. without worrying, is it laced with something? Mm -hmm. um, you know, am I going to get gunned down for doing this? Mm -hmm. Am exactly. I going to go to jail? This has opened up more medicine for more people who can use it. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly don't see people in that age group seeking to use it to get high. They just want to get out of bed in the morning and be able to move and do their gardening, take their dog for a walk. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm leaning that, you know, legalizing is as restrictive as it can be in some states. And, you know, you have to have a qualifying condition in mm -hmm. some states, or you can only have so much at a time in the pricing, mm -hmm. but it's a step in the right direction. It's, it's getting us away from that back alley deal of laced things that aren't safe and creating commerce for criminals. And now we're creating, um, wider tax base, putting the money back in. Like Colorado has, you know, really set an example for increased taxes through selling cannabis has now created all sorts of other different social programs. Um, and I think that's a great thing that Portugal does with legalizing and helping people who have mental health issues. And that's a lot of people who have mental health issues are looking at illicit drugs such as, you know, all those other things to to quell the fire in their head to to feel calm to feel normal um and a lot of those antipsychotic medications leave you feeling numb and you can't there's no quality of life and they don't feel in control so that's why i think people you know look to self-medicate and feel like they have a little bit of control and find that right mix that makes them feel their best and sometimes they don't always make the best choices in what those right mix, mixes are but i would hope that legalizing cannabis can give people a little more option to to choose to take care of their health and put their health in their own hands and, and make better choices and safer choices for them too. Anna, it's, it was wonderful to hear your take on things. And, and I think we have given the topic all the due diligence that it deserves, but it's lovely to actually hear that positive side coming from you, from someone who sees the relief of suffering on a daily basis with the right products 
for the right patients, for the right indications in the right, right. way, supervised and above board. How beautiful is that? Because the yes. same patients would have not received any of that in the system, in the, in the previous system. Otherwise, they, they would have not come to you. It's as simple as exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As so a nurse, that, I would have never had this conversation with a client. <laughs> it would just be like, mm-hmm. talk to you. But now I can. That's wonderful. But again, I understand that with anything, there's, there's a, a bad side. There's, you know, people who use it too early when your brain is still developing as a teenager and as a young adult. You know, th- there's research saying that this is a really bad time for brain growth and development to be introducing cannabis. Mm-hmm. Older in life, it's safer to use. Um, Same you know, with how alcohol. much yeah same with alcohol though sorry for interrupting we've got that no, that's bit okay. of time delay in in and our link so i want to talk you want to talk we both <laughs> no, <I> think, <laughs> and it's good for you guys viewers to, to know that the same the same research is there for alcohol we know that if you drink regularly uh, under the age of 25 the younger you are the more likely you're going to become an alcoholic whilst if they were increased the drinking age uh, to 25 and indeed uh, police it in an appropriate way and make sure that younger people don't drink, then you would see far, far, far less addiction uh, to alcohol mm-hmm. than we would uh, we do see now. So there is actually something to be said about that. Um, but uh, there are so many, so many issues, and I think we've we've given them a fair chance to be aired. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully here by, by highlighting the benefits of medicinal marijuana, it, we have maybe put a balance into the discussion. We have discussed it without the emotions, whilst we've raised yes. the, the issues, the thing. I think let's take the emotions out of it and let's see quality of life. And so if you are a pain sufferer out there, then please, don't accept it the way it is, but always look around. Is that really as good as you can be? And the true answer is most patients that I've met had not had the chance to be truly holistically evaluated and treated. And that had mainly to do with the lack of availability of the support services that I would mm-hmm. have ideally liked to have. Um, and the, the lack of availability of medications or access to certain treatment modalities. Bottom line is just don't take no for an answer. And if someone says that's as good as gonna be, yeah, chances are no. That is to always have an open mind. And, and you know, if you are uh, lucky enough that you live in a um, place like Michigan, um, then, get in touch with Anna and, and or one of her colleagues. You guys have got a whole network of, of nurse practitioners that are specializing in cannabis, isn't it? Yeah, there's uh, there are more and more nurses and physicians being educated all the time and um, creating whole business models around medical cannabis and mm-hmm. education and research. And it's just... It, every day I, I find a new article, something new to read. It's very exciting, actually. I'm enjoying mm. learning all about it. It's a, it's a new discipline. There are not many new things happening in, in the field <laughs> of medicine. Um, so it's, I can see where you're coming from. It is an exciting world out there. If people wanted to ask you questions or if people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, do you have a way that they can do that? 
Um, sure, they can email me at Anna, it's A-N-N-A, at zenergyhq.com. And Zenergy is Z with energy, or I don't know if in New Zealand you say Z like they do in Canada. <laughs> yeah, do. Z and energy. So yeah, Perfect. that's how you can reach me. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And guys, just look down there in the description of the video and of the podcast. I will have put the link down there. Anna, I was humbled to have you on my show. I'm really, really grateful to get this kind of balanced view and balanced uh, expert input here on, on a thing where there are a lot of emotions about, but very little knowledge about. So people often, I mean, it surprises me how opinionated people can be without actually wanting to know the truth behind it. Um, right. That automatically would lead now into the political discussion, but we will not go there. I wish you, I wish you all the luck <laughs> that you deserve over the next week in the United oh States. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, exactly. But no, Anna, I thank you so much for coming onto my show. I really, really appreciated that. It was an honor. It was great talking with you. Cool. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye.